and was going through the history of the Old Testament. Right. And so he was preaching to the Jews in the synagogue exactly what they had probably heard a million times about, you know... Um, God chose Abraham and he made him promises and then God was faithful to his promise and he brought our people out of Egypt and you know all those things and they were expecting they were expecting to hear at the end of the sermon or right here where he he transitions into talking about Jesus they were expecting to hear what they've always heard before was that you know uh, God is going to send the Messiah and we're going to rule. The kingdom is going to be reestablished on earth and uh, the Jews are going to reign over everybody and all that. They were expecting that, but what Paul did in the last couple of verses we read was that he said Jesus has now fulfilled all these things. He fulfilled all the promises to Abraham. He fulfilled all the promises to Isaac and Jacob. He fulfilled all the promises to our fathers and he fulfilled all the promises to David as well. And so this this would have taken them by by shock, and uh, so where we ended last week was as Paul was preaching. He preached through the Old Testament narrative, and he ended at the resurrection of Christ. He ended it at the fact that we are witnesses. I think that's what verse verse thirty one says, and it says, "And we, and he was." This is Paul preaching now. He says, "And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people." And I think that's where we ended last week. So Paul and Paul and uh, Barnabas had come into this city. Uh, we're going to see them move. From city to city here in the next couple of chapters. Well, in the next chapter after this. But he starts, and this is kind of the, the sermon that he preached. And he preached it this way because he was in a synagogue. He was filled, It was filled with Jewish people. It was filled with Gentiles that were uh, God-fearers that were acquainted with the Jewish people. We're going to see that he changes his sermon's format when he starts preaching to these pagan Gentiles who don't know anything about the Old Testament or the God of Israel. Or anything. He changes his format when he does that but here he's talking he does all the old testament he said we were witnesses that uh that uh jesus has risen from the dead that god has given him uh, all authority that god has fulfilled all the promises that he'd made uh in the old testament and incidentally just just for your own your own personal benefit if you uh, when you go back and you read through old testament things the question that you the question that you need to always ask when you're reading things that maybe you don't understand or don't have a clue what's going on is is where do i see jesus in this where is jesus prophesied where is jesus's you know what does this story have to do with christ because he is the centerpiece of all of scripture if we go back and look at luke at the very end of luke the the two disciples on the road to emmaus uh says that Jesus opened the scriptures to them and from Moses to all the prophets he preached himself he showed them himself in all of scripture and so uh, Paul is rightly handling the Old Testament text here by showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things and so what we're going to see in, in this this is probably going to be boring to a lot of y'all but it's pretty fascinating to me that when he uh, when he's he's preaching, he's going to quote like three or four uh, texts from the Old Testament here in this next section. 
And as he quotes these texts in the Old Testament, what we're going to have to do as as this is what you do when you study uh, scripture, what we're going to do is we're going to take these texts that he's quoting and we're going to go back and look at them. I mean, we're not going to turn back there and do Bible studies on these all these texts, but you have to take these Old Testament texts and see how they were used in the Old Testament to see how Paul is using them today. That is that confusing to anyone? You understand? There's I'm starting the thing. I, I do these podcasts working through the Bible. I'm starting the next one I think I'm going to do with very much trepidation is going to be probably Revelation and that's 400, uh, 400 Old Testament delusions. And so basically you need, we're going to have to, it's going to be more of a study of the Old Testament really, because you can't understand Revelation without the Old Testament. So the same thing the same thing works here. As Paul is preaching these texts, we're going to look at them, each one in its context, and we're going to see what he means by what he's saying. Y'all with me? Yes. Is there any questions? We're going to start that. What? No, we're talking about Acts right now. We'll talk about Revelation later. I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I do. Okay. Well, it, it's not going to be as, as fun as y'all are anticipating, I'm sure. Uh, anyway, 32. And we declare unto you, this is, this is Paul speaking. We declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, what was the promise made to the fathers? How was it fulfilled? The go-to answer is through Jesus. Jesus fulfilled. Remember Abraham, the fathers, Isaac, Jacob, the promises were made. I'll give you a seed. Uh, you'll be father of many nations. You'll be father of a great nation. All the world will be blessed through you. That promise is fulfilled through Christ. He said, uh, and he was seen, uh, 32, and he declared unto you, and we declare unto you glad tidings. The word glad tidings is the word gospel. We declare you to you the gospel. We declare to you the gospel, um, how that the promise which was made to the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same, has fulfilled that promise unto us, their children. Notice Paul's putting himself in there. Unto us, their children, God has fulfilled, past tense, he's fulfilled that promise in his children in that he raised up Jesus again, as it also is written in the second Psalm, thou art my son this day. I have begotten thee. Okay, Psalm 2 is where it says, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. That is uh, quoted more than once in, in the New Testament. Where else is it quoted? Anybody know? You, this is my beloved son. That's in John. Baptism of Jesus. Baptism of Jesus and at the resurrection of Jesus. Peter, Peter quotes it as well. And so, well, Jesus, Jesus, a lot of people take this and it's a good study tool for us. A lot of people are going to look at this and say, well, Jesus wasn't really divine until he was born as Jesus in Bethlehem. But that's not what the psalmist is saying. That's not what Paul's using the text for. What he's showing is the son has always been the son. The S-O-N, not the S-U-N. There's never been a time when there wasn't Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You can see that through throughout the text of Scripture. You know, let us make man in our image all the way to in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And so all these, you can see that the son has always been the son. But when it says today I have begotten thee, he was pronounced. Uh, he was pronounced the son before the world at his baptism. Remember? He was baptized and what happened? 
Father spoke from heaven. Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Son comes up out of the water. And, and so he was pronounced to the world. This is my beloved son, you know, in, in, in whom I'm well pleased. And he was vindicated as the son and given the authority and power uh, and rule as the son at his resurrection. Remember what he said when he ascended to heaven was the last thing he said before he ascended. It's not a trick question. He said, all power and authority is given unto me over heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Yeah, okay. All right, you with me. He said, all power is given me. And he, he ascended to heaven. And what did he do when he got there? He sat down, sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's right. He was vindicated and enthroned as the Son, <clears throat> forever being God and man. That's something a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people don't realize. I had a guy one time ask me about, it uh, seemed like God didn't really sacrifice anything to save people because he knew that his son was going to be risen from the dead. And once he's risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, everything goes back to the way it was. And God hadn't lost nothing. And we're all, we're saved who trusted in Christ. But that's not the way it is. is can you tell me the difference now between between the son of God now and the son of God before the crucifixion resurrection? Y'all are going to talk to me. All right, I'm going to tell you this one, the next one. Huh? The resurrected body, yeah. The Son of God, the Son, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Son has always existed as Son. Uh, you know, you can see him throughout the Old Testament. He appeared in in, uh, in different ways, different different fashions to people. It was uh, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, "I am who I am" from the burning bush, and you know things like that. But it was when he came to uh, came to Earth in the incarnation and was born of a virgin, born of Mary, and took on human flesh. Took on he was all God, he was all man, and when he ascended to heaven he ascended as all God and all man so even today things even then things didn't go back to the way they were from eternity past now today for eternity for the rest of eternity he is all God and all man and when Paul writes in Colossians he says the fullness of uh, the fullness of the Godhead dwells present tense bodily in in Christ. And so when you when you get to heaven, when you meet him, when you stand at the judgment and whatever, when when that happens, you'll be able to see Christ the way he is in a resurrected body. You'll be able to, you know, touch him and talk to him, you know, like he said, touch the nail scars in my hands, feel my side. I'm not a a, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see that I have. And so uh, Jesus was declared to be the son of God before the world is baptism. He was vindicated and enthroned as the Son of God uh, when he ascended on high, but he was in his essence always the second person of the Trinity, the Son. Does that make sense? Alright, what Paul's doing here by quoting this, by quoting this verse, he's telling them that the Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. The Jews always expected a Messiah. They always expected one to come and he is showing them that Jesus is that Messiah. Christ is that Messiah and and by, by quoting this verse, he could point to those events in his life where the Father declared him, declared Psalm 2 was fulfilled in him, both in his baptism and his enthronement as, uh, as uh, uh, king after the ascension. Does that make sense? With me, any questions? No? 
Okay, all right, so that's 33. 34 says, let's just read, uh, well, let's take them one at a time. 34, as, and this is still Paul speaking. Remember who's talking, remember what he's talking about. Paul's preaching in the synagogue, and he says, And as concerning that, he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. That I will give you the sure mercies of David is Isaiah 55, 3. That's a quote. So from this point, you see Paul is quoting these Old Testament passages. He's proving to the Jews there in the synagogue who would have read these Old Testament passages. They, they read them on a lectionary cycle, which means they would read a reading from the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They would read from the prophets. And through the course of a year, they would have read all the prophets. And so this is not something, this is like, you know, this is like you would come to church and we would go through the whole Bible in a year. I mean, so it's pretty quick moving, but they would have heard it off. You spent five years in the in the synagogue in, you know, this, this city in Antioch. Uh, you would have went through these Old Testament scriptures five times. You know, so you these are things that you would have heard, things that you would have known. So Paul breaks out right now as he's preaching Jesus and he starts off by quoting Psalm 2, Messianic Psalm. Then he quotes Isaiah 55. Anything special about Isaiah 50 through 55, 56? It's the prophecy of Jesus. It is. That's where 53 is where 53, 54 is where we get. He was bruised for our iniquities. On his, by his stripes we were healed. It was the prophecy of Christ. And so he's saying in this way, Jesus has fulfilled those messianic prophecies in Isaiah chapter 55 saying, I will give you the sure mercies of David. What he's saying is, I will give you the, the, the blessings that I promised David. He promised David something uh, extraordinary. What did he promise David? That he would sit on the throne of Israel. That one of his seed would reign on the throne forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And who is that seed that came to reign on the throne forever and ever and ever? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. Da Jesus is David's great, 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 great grandson. You know, I don't know how many greats it's supposed to be, but it's a bunch of, bunch of greats. He said, this is the one who has fulfilled these things. And so then Isaiah 55, and then he quotes, he goes right into 35. Let me just read 35 through 37, and we'll get through a little quicker. It says... Wherefore, he said, because of that, he saith also in another psalm, we're going to see it Psalm 1610, he says, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. David wrote that psalm as well, but it's also a messianic psalm. He says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers, and he saw corruption. What is he trying to say right there? He said, The holy one won't see corruption. But David did see corruption. Because David died. Because David died and he rotted. And his bones is, you know... When he wrote that, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus. Yeah, when he wrote that, he was prophesying of the Messiah. And this is something that the Jews already knew. They knew, you know, that David was there. The tomb was right there. It's probably bones done probably turned to dust by then. But uh, his tomb was still there, still accessible. Not in Antioch, but in Jerusalem. And he says, But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. 
He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus died same way David did. I mean, not same way, but died just like David did. But Jesus didn't see corruption because he was risen from the dead. He didn't. He wasn't allowed. He wasn't allowed. God didn't uh, allow him to stay in the grave. He was made alive through through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was given life again. Uh, probably not the best way to put it, but he uh, he laid down his life. He picked it back up again, and he ascended to the throne on high. And so what Paul is doing here is he's showing them from their own scriptures in the Old Testament. He's showing them from the law and the prophets that what has happened in Jesus rising from the dead, what has happened in Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead is uh, what has always been prophesied to happen. This is not something that's, uh, you know, out of the blue somewhere. Although for most of these guys, it was out of the blue because they didn't understand the way that this was supposed to happen. But, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. We're looking back at these prophecies, and we can see Jesus preaching the fulfillment of these prophecies, and we can see that this is, you know, this is just the way it was supposed to be. And so, he quotes Psalm 16.10 here, and interestingly enough, this is the same psalm that Peter quoted. If you were here way back when we talked in Acts chapter 2, Peter quoted Psalm 16.10 and applied it to Christ as well. So, there you have two apostles taking these psalms and applying them to Jesus. Does that give you a, I mean, that gives gives you kind of a, I don't want to say a matrix, but it kind of gives you a pattern. So when you go back and you look at these Old Testament texts, a lot of times we're reading them and we're like, I don't know. I mean, what's he talking about? A lot of times people will take them. I heard some this week too. It just set my made my blood boil. But a lot of times you, you you hear these texts preached and people put a spin on it that has nothing to do with Jesus. It's all about you. You know, it's all about it's all about you having better life and you having a better you know check waiting for you in the mailbox and the, you know. These texts are not, they're only about you as you are in Jesus. They're about Christ. The Bible is about Christ. That's what it's about. That is the purpose for its being written and its purpose for us to understand that we are, we are in it in as much as only we are united with Christ. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? Did that all come out right? As we are united with Christ, we are one with Him, and He is our righteousness. He has taken our sin. And so when we read these Old Testament texts, a lot of times we take Psalms and Isaiah and, and all those things, and we start reading them, and you don't have a clue what's going on. You're like, I don't understand nothing about all this thing. And the reality is they're all pointing to what Christ has done or the reason Christ had to come or, or, or something of that nature. They're all pointing to Christ. He is the center. Piece. He is the uh, he is the the matrix through which we understand all of what Scripture is talking about. Got me, man. Y'all are quiet. Anything you need? To, any cries of outrage or questions? Or anything? Nothing. Okay. Don't even say no. I don't have no question. All right. Whatever. 38, be it known unto you, brother, this is where we're almost done through his sermon. I know his, getting through this big, long sermon is tough, but it says, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren. He's finally pointing the finger. Understand something. You are not preaching unless you are saying you. Okay, you, a lot of times people don't like that today. But he is making application. He says, you guys need to understand. Be it known to you, brethren. 
Men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. That's what Paul's saying. He said, today I'm standing before you and I am preaching the forgiveness of sin. That's what I'm doing. And so he says, and by him, all that believe, this is where it's going to get hairy. He says, all that believe are justified from all things. From which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That would have dropped a hand grenade in the uh, in the synagogue. What did he just say? He just said that the the this crucified, cursed of God, Messiah that he's claiming was killed and resurrected in Jerusalem is superior to the law of Moses. Is that what he just said? This would have it would have blown up in their ears. They would have they would have been you know. Uh, they would have been getting getting really mad. You can sometimes tell when you're preaching, you stand up there, and you can tell when you really tick somebody off. And uh, you know, if you're if you're like, you know, well, okay, never mind. <laughs> but anyway, he says, verse 45, the last sentence. He says, "Behold, you despisers and wonder." Now he's getting a little personal, ain't it? There's there's preaching, and then there's meddling. You know what I mean? You, when you get to, when, when you get to, he's like, I can tell you ticked off. I can tell you mad. He says, you despisers and wonder and perish. He says, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Oh, I missed the verse, didn't I? He's quoting Habakkuk there, but he's applying it to those people. He says, beware, verse 40 says, beware. He says, you beware, therefore, lest that upon, come upon you that which is spoken of in the prophets. And he's going to quote Habakkuk 1.5. This is what he's quoting. Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall nowise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Now, if you go back and look at Habakkuk, he was talking about Habakkuk is a weird prophet. He was there's only three chapters, so it'd be good for you to go back and read it. But in Habakkuk, he was basically if you've ever complained against God, or if you've ever you know said God, why are you doing this? I mean, what what's the purpose of you know? You ever had those feelings? Uh, don't feel like the Lone Ranger. The psalmist has those feelings. Job had those feelings, and Habakkuk had those feelings. And so Habakkuk is standing on the wall of Jerusalem, and God has decided to judge. Israel and in order to judge Israel uh, he decided he was going to bring the Babylonians against Israel and he's going to basically destroy them and Habakkuk can't understand why God would use a pagan Gentile unclean horrible sinful nation to judge his own people he can't understand why that God would do such a thing and the people of Israel don't understand why God is doing such a thing and Habakkuk is trying to it's basically a conversation between Habakkuk and God why are you doing this God said you yeah you don't understand my ways and you know they going back and forth in that book and so one of the things that said in Habakkuk is God says look I'm gonna work a work in you that that you're not going to believe. Even if I sent somebody to tell you about it, you wouldn't believe it. And so Paul is telling them, beware, you guys. See, their problem is not that there's a Messiah. Their problem, remember we talked about it last week, that according to Paul, the Messiah was cursed of God because he was hung on a tree. 
You know, and so anybody who's hung on a tree that was in Deuteronomy was uh, uh, cursed of God. And so God is not going to save uh, Israel, not going to redeem this world through a cursed Messiah. He's not going to do. I mean, that's just to them. That would have been that would have been unheard of. It would have been offensive, really, that you God would use a cursed Messiah. But we know that's the point. isn't it? the point is that Jesus took the curse for us. And so that we can have his righteousness if we trust in him. But they would not have believed that it was an offense to them. And Paul said that the gospel is an offense to the 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 Jew and a, it's a stumbling block to the Jew and it's foolishness to the Greek. And so he they would have been so offended. And P- Paul is warning them right here. He's like, look, you're falling into the same trap that your prophets fell into 500 years ago, 800 years ago. You're you're falling into the same pit of uh, of doubt and confusion that the prophets prophesied that you were going to fall into. He says, so you beware lest today you fall into the same thing that they were talking about way back when, when Habakkuk was preaching. God said, I'm going to do a work that you're not going to understand. He brought an old Gentile pagan sinful nation against Israel to judge it way back then. And they didn't believe that it was possible, but he did it anyway. He said he brought a cursed Messiah, a Messiah that took the curse of sin upon himself to save you and to bring you forgiveness because the law of Moses couldn't bring you forgiveness. You couldn't keep the law uh, in a way that was going to perfect you or make you right before God. And so God sent his Messiah to take that curse upon himself. And so this is the, that's the end of Paul's sermon. He says today the forgiveness of sin is being preached among you. He says today don't fall into the same trap that all of them fell into thinking that God's not going to use some cursed Messiah. God's not going to do something that far away or that that crazy sounding. He says don't fall into that because God has sent his Messiah. All the things he talked about Christ in are in the past tense. God is going to God has sent his Messiah and it's done. All the promises are fulfilled. Now the only thing left is for you to repent of your sin and for you to trust in him and 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 be saved. And so what do you think is going to happen? We've seen it before, over and over again in Acts. One of two things is going to happen. Some of them is going to believe. Some of them is going to get offended and say, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Let's kill him. It happens, it happens today. Yes. Would that be while the modern day Jewish don't believe in Christ or the divinity of Christ? The modern day just would well, probably be one of the reasons they don't believe he was the promised Messiah. They don't see they don't see the fulfillment of the promises in him today still. Now, some do. There's Messianic, you know, Jewish people, but um, but many don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that would be the same reasoning. They're still waiting on Messiah. OK. And so. uh at the end of this section, verse 42 to 52, we're going to see what happens. This is the result. And it's the same thing you see today. Preach the gospel, witness to someone, go and, you know, it doesn't have to be preaching, but just go out on the street corner or at your job, at your business, and you witness for Christ and just be a testimony for Him. One of two things is going to happen. They're going to either hate your guts 
or they're going to accept your message. One of the two. And a lot of times we take it, I'm going to show you through this chapter and the next chapter, uh, Paul is going to have lots of people that accept it, but he's going to have lots of people that hate his guts and want him dead. And it's, you can't judge the success of the Word of God or the Gospel of God by whether they accept it or not, because it's meant to do two things. You read that verse where it says, His Word won't return void. That doesn't mean that when it goes out, everybody's going to get saved. What it means is it's, 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 it will not return void. It will accomplish exactly what it's meant to accomplish. And so what you see is that the gospel is, it has two sides. One is the side of, of course, salvation and forgiveness and the good news of, of redemption to all mankind who would trust in Christ. The other side is judgment. You know, you, when you go and you hear that gospel, uh, you're responsible for the light that you've been given. And so, for instance, today at 1030 service, it'll be, you know, it'll be 350 people in here in these seats. Uh, and Brother Eddie will preach the gospel. Uh, those 350 people, whether they accept it or not, is uh, it, it's not his, it, you know, it's not his, uh, it's not on his shoulders whether they hear or accept the gospel. But they will be accountable for what they hear. The guy who's over in the jungle somewhere who does never seen or heard anybody and a missionary comes to him and tells him the gospel he's heard it one time in his life he won't be as accountable still it's still heaven and hell i'm not saying that but he won't be he'll he will be less accountable than the guy who sat under it his whole dead gum life and heard it over and over and over again and refused it over and over and over again so the gospel goes forth it goes forth in judgment and it goes forth in salvation one of the two and so what you're going to see is same thing happens here. Some of them agree. Some of them believe. Some of them reject. It says, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Okay, they're done preaching. They're about to leave the synagogue. The, the Jew, when it says the Jews here, it's not talking about just the Jewish people. Most of the time when Luke says, and the Jews went there, he's talking about the Jewish leadership, the leadership of the synagogue. And so we're going to see some Jewish people and Gentile people accepting the gospel. But over... Uh, not not 100% of the time, but for the most part, we're going to see the religious leadership rejected. And you still see it today. People love to be religious, but they don't want Christ. They don't want to be, they don't want to live for Christ. They just want to be, you know, a little religion will do me and that'll be fine. So when they were, when all the Jews had gone out of the synagogue, Gentiles said, hey man, can you come back next Sunday? Or I guess it'd be Saturday, the Sabbath. Can you come back next Sabbath and, and, and speak this again? You know, they want to hear it again. And some of them even followed them. Verse 45 or verse 43 says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So as Paul and Barnabas were leaving, going back to wherever they were staying, uh, this crowd of folks, both Jew and Gentile, both sides, they were following them going, you know, tell us more about this. We want to learn more about this. And Paul, no doubt, was telling them all kind of things. But the thing of his message to them was to do what? I'm always just put Dean and Jennifer in their own section and I'm just going to talk to them. No one wants to answer me. They were to continue in the grace of God. What does that mean? 
I'm Paul. I just preached a sermon about Christ. Uh, just preached that the law has been fulfilled. The promises to the, the fathers have been fulfilled. It's all done. Now you need to trust in Christ. And these people ask me, okay, what, what else? What is, else is there? And my answer is to continue in the grace of God. What am I talking about? What would you think? I'm, I'm not looking for no specific answer. You ain't going to be wrong. If y'all worry about being wrong, don't worry about, I mean. Well, if he's already preached the gospel to them, now they have the gospel. And to continue in the grace of God is to do exactly what Paul and Barnabas just did for them to go and preach. Okay. Continue studying. Continue studying. What else? To come back and hear it again. Come back and hear it again. Anybody else? Continue in the faith and keep seeking after God. Yeah. Continue. Continue. Uh, uh, basically, I, I would say, huh? Fellowshipping. Yeah. Continue to, you know, try the Spirit. Put, put that work to use. You know, he's teaching them about having faith in what they don't do. Yeah. For them to continue to go, go on in faith and believe and put that to work and watch it work because, you know, in the past, all this stuff has happened. And, you know, some of these people have seen those miracles right before their very eyes, you know, that even Jesus did or even that um, people, you know, their grandparents saw, you know, Mm -hmm. their parents saw. You know, for them to continue to teach these traditions, to teach these miracles. Yeah, and he just got through preaching in a synagogue in Antioch. What were they preaching in the synagogue the Sabbath before he got there, you think? The law of Moses. Probably so. So to continue in the grace of God would be... To preach the gospel. Yeah, to continue in the gospel. Grow in grace. Grow in grace and to not go back to thinking that the law is what makes you right before God. To not go back to... I mean, all those are right. It's the... Just continue in the grace, continue in the, the faith, continue seeking after Christ, continue to study the things that God has done. Uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures haven't been thrown out, you know, they're still as authoritative as they were, but to understand that it is God's grace. Remember Paul's sermon when we started, I told you it was all about one thing, and that was God's work of grace amongst his people. He chose Abraham, not because Abraham was a great guy, just because of his grace. He led the people out of Egypt, not because they were faithful or obedient. They surely weren't just because of his grace. He suffered with them through the wilderness when they disobeyed and rebelled countless times because of his grace. He gave them the land in the book of Judges when you know they, they continually turned on him every other time and then cried out and he would raise up a judge. It's all about his grace, his grace, his grace. From the time of Abraham to his grace and that now he's saying Jesus has come, you continue in his grace. That's the only way you can is through him. Jesus came and he paid the price, so you don't have to do that anymore. You know, the um, you know, not eating certain foods and you know Absolutely that set them apart. But now Jesus, you know, died on the cross and he took all of that and, and now that he and now, you know, we don't have to follow those laws anymore. Right. So is that mainly what they were Oh yeah, they that yeah, that well I mean think about it. They had been raised Now, we're not, make sure, uh, we've talked about this before for some of y'all. What we're talking about here is the ceremonial and the civil law. 
the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, the you know those things, the even parts of the Holiness Code in Leviticus, those are still binding for us today. We still see them in the New Testament. You know, don't kill nobody, don't don't steal, don't you know those moral. That's God's nature, and so those are still binding. But all the civil law, all the ceremonial law, specifically, He told us we don't have to keep anymore. I mean, He let remember He let the sheep down and said, "You eat whatever you want to." You know, don't worry about shellfish, don't worry about pig, don't worry about whatever. You just eat all the barbecue you want to. And so, you think about these people. They uh, they had grown up. I mean, from the little, from barely could walk to old age, and they'd always been told, always been read. Eating shellfish, eating pig, eating, you know, ceremonial, ritual, you know, sacrifices, all those things. All those things is what makes you right before God. And if you don't do them, you're not right before God. I mean, they had literally grown up understanding that as fact. And then all of a sudden, here comes a guy when they're, you know, let's just say they're 50, 60 years old. And they live their whole life this way saying, hey, you don't have to do that no more. You know, it's fulfilled. It's done. It's done deal. Well, there's no such thing as biblical Judaism today. It was wiped out in AD 70. There is Judaism, but they ain't sacrificing nothing. There ain't no temple. There ain't no, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. They still follow the law. The night that Jennifer and I went to the the synagogue there in Jackson, I mean, they read, they pulled out these scrolls that were, you just wouldn't believe what they looked like. And, you know, and they're put behind a, what do you put, it was like a cabinet, but it was just ordained with these jewels and, you know, and they bring this out and they've got certain people there that can unroll it and, only certain people that can read from it. Yeah. Now, can you imagine busting off in there saying all that? We don't have to do that no more. I did. <laughs> Her and Dustin just went gospel. Oh, I bet. I bet they loved y'all. <laughs> they well, said they could come back, but they couldn't do that no more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't imagine why. I can't imagine why. But yeah, they were. They were. Um, the law of Moses, what he's talking about, is the ceremonial and the civil law. The, all the regulations that... the I, I didn't want to get into a big discussion, but you probably need to know this. So if I don't get to the rest of this chapter, it'll just have to do. Um, the civil law, the ceremonial law was everything that you had to do to be ritually clean before God. Sacrifices, the washings, the, you know, the wearing the certain clothes as you go in the temple and all the ceremonial things. If it made you clean before God, that's part of the ceremonial law. You know, so if you, you touch a dead body, you had to go wash and you be, wouldn't be clean till that night and seven days of purification and, you know, the woman during her... Okay, you got all that, right? So anything that makes you unclean, that's the ceremonial law. In order to be clean before God, you had to follow ceremonial law. Civil law was everything that pertained to life and practice back then. You can learn all kind of principles from those things but the things are like you know if uh, if 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 you steal a man's donkey you got to give him a donkey and a chicken or what you know what I mean it's like you know you can't go to Walmart and try to buy something with chickens I mean good luck you know you might, might work in Brownsville but probably nowhere else uh, it, it was the law that that uh, governed life and practice in that time at, over that society Paul and Peter in the New Testament specifically 
tell the, the Roman in the Romans and the people to whom Peter was writing, you are to obey your governmental authorities. Okay? So even parts of the law of Old Test of the Old Testament where it says, if so and so does this, they should be stoned. You know, that's part of the civil law. That's civil punishment. You're not allowed to stone anybody to death here today. God, Paul and Peter said you are to follow the governmental authorities that you are under. So for us to go out and say, well, the Bible says we need to stone this guy is to break the New Testament command to follow the. So we're not under the civil and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Those are gone for us. We don't have to not eat pork and all those things. Jesus specifically told Peter, don't call clean what I've made clean. You kill and you eat, you know, for all my I told my vegetarian friend at the at the hospital. It Bible tells me to kill and eat. It don't say uproot and eat. It says kill and eat. And so and so well, the only thing that is binding upon us today is the moral law of God. The, the laws that are still applicable, the laws that reflect who God is, you know, have no other gods before me. You should, don't kill, don't steal, don't whatever, you know, the, the, there are laws in uh, laws for sexuality, laws for, you know, those things that are uh, all kind of things that are that are in the uh, holiness code uh, of Leviticus. And so the only the only law that we are bound by today and we're not here's the here's the distinction you need to make that the Jews weren't making. The law is not for you to be redeemed by. It never brings life, ever. If you were to say, okay, I'm, I'm under the moral law, and that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to keep the moral law, great. That's what you're supposed to do, but it's not going to, it's not going to bring life. Only Christ can bring life, okay? What the law is for, what the law is for, for is it's a mirror to show you how bad that you are. It's to show you how sinful you are. So the, Paul calls it a schoolmaster that pushes you, a tutor that pushes you toward Christ. Because if you try to make the law the way that you become right with God, you're quickly going to see, probably in the first five minutes, how bad that you are and how you're not able to keep it, how you're not able to do it. And that's why Jesus came preaching the Sermon on the Mount when all these guys were going, you know what, I'm pretty good. I've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, well, if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So, oops. And he said, well, I've never committed murder. And, uh, you know, in 1 John, it says the one who hates his brother is a murderer. So, oops. You know, so Jesus actually didn't come to do away with the law. He actually made the law harder to follow because he showed us that we are we are um, we are in we are in, uh, in in our minds and thoughts. Hey, come on. She missed. She missed y'all. On your website, you've got because I remember us doing a, a, a study over the Ooh. civil law, the, and, and all that. The 